Ladies and gentlemen, the eighth wonder of the world, me, myself, and I, Alexander here, Vivid Nectar, podcast episode 269. Today, we're going to be bringing back the One Piece manga reviews. It's been on hold, but of course, we got to get back on that train, starting off with chapter 1075. And then eventually, I'm going to have an episode where I covered the last eight chapters or so where I just wasn't talking about One Piece. Album reviews continuing. Today's episode is going to be featuring Lil Yachty's Let's Start Here, polarizing, mesmerizing. Whether you loved it or hated it, it left an impact and a big shift in Lil Yachty's career. And God knows where he's going to go from here. And even though I'm going to be doing the order slightly different, first time we're going to be doing a movie review. A big pivotal moment in humanity's history last night. The official start to the MCU's Phase 5. The big main villain, Kane, gets his first introduction, makes quite an impact, quite an impression. And overall, the best Marvel movie since Spider-Man's No Way Home. Easily. Hands down. Hands down the best movie. So with that, we're going to jump straight into the movie. And the way I'm going to be structuring this is actually pretty simple. And in the fact that I am going to cover like the entirety of the movie, some highlights for me, some negatives, but I also want to have separate categories for it. So for example, I'll be going over... CGI, pacing, humor, overall storytelling. And I will probably even add in power scaling to a certain degree because I feel that is important in these movies. And then like my overall wrap-up thoughts. I feel I feel it's different enough to where I don't see too many other people covering in that way. Of course, I'm not trying to spend 30 minutes a pop. Like, you know, for the most part, CGI, it's pretty, pretty easy to tell if it's good or not. But with that, with that, Ant-Man Quantumania released last night. Easily the best Marvel movie since Spider-Man's No Way Home. The official start to phase five, introducing Kang as the villain. How is the movie? Let me tell you, starting off with the CGI, I found it to be pretty great, the CGI. There is certain moments where the background and the character, the lighting isn't exactly perfect, or rather the depth of field between the character and the green screen. And I wouldn't say it's obvious, but as certain frames, you could just sort of feel like they're not in the world, but they're rather in front of it. But aside from that, most of the movie CGI is believable. You do see the depth in there. You do sort of see that engagement and it is believable. Um, Shouts out to Marvel for stepping on, stepping up in this department for such a big film introducing their big bad. Because last thing we need is terrible CGI continuing on in one of the biggest phases. It's not going to be a good look, but I could confidently say CGI for the most part, great. One downside to the CGI will probably be with the character MODOK. It's just he's so awkward, his design, that whenever I find him to be in areas where there's a lot more light and a lot more CGI characters and action scenes going on, that's whenever you could sort of see the awkwardness of it. But whenever we're going into somewhere where there's a lot less light, a bit darker, less characters, that's where I feel the CGI really ain't that bad for him. It's pretty good. It's just he's so awkward looking that it looks as if as if it's worse than it is. That's the CGI breakdown. How is the art direction in this movie? Something that for the MCU, I'm always looking forward to. The quantum realm breathes personality. It breathes stylistically beautiful colors, vibrant colors, and everything from the sort of bacteria, the animals that we got going on inside the quantum realm to even some of the locals, some of the humanoid life on there is oozing, oozing with personality on their skin. 
everything from like the broccoli shaped character to the one with the rings and even some of the other locals that are able to catch your eyes as the characters traverse through the towns through the cities is very well done it's something reminiscent of star wars to be real with y'all now i'm not the biggest star wars fan so i can't say here like what's one for one that took inspiration but definitely gave off that star world that star wars environment so cgi great art phenomenal Humor, 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 something that MCU has just been ever since I want to say uh, No Way Home in certain moments is just too much. We got to take it a bit more seriously. And this being the Ant-Man series, I was a little bit like, eh, I'm not looking forward to it, but they handled it pretty well. This is the most serious Ant-Man movie. This is one where the humor, when it does happen to come on, it doesn't overstay itself. It, at times, it could be pretty witty. It does like a little full circle. And it's done in a tasteful way where it's able to sort of relax the tension rather than, all right, we're in a comedy sketch. Come on, guys, we got to entertain the crowd. It, it usually happens wherever it's like, wow, this helped us breathe a bit before it continues on the more darker, uh, darker moments throughout the movie. So the humor, uh, great in here as well. Pacing. Pacing, I found it to be just about average. I, I believe the first half, it has this weird, I wouldn't even want to say trope, this weird moment where they, whenever they talk about Kang, whenever it comes time for, what's her name, Michelle or Janet, whenever it comes time for Janet to speak about Kang, to speak about her history with Kang and what exactly she experienced in the quantum realm, for the most part, she avoids it to a certain point inside, like about 40 minutes into the movie, she finally decides to speak up about it, which is weird because whenever they're flying through the quantum realm, whenever they're trying to find answers as far as what's going on, why is there life here? Why are we avoiding someone? It's always I can't explain it right now. We need to keep going. I can't explain it right now. But right now we need to worry about this. And it just sort of ruins the pacing because we could have got some key narrative points early on that we don't necessarily need rehash later. And we could just, just get it out the way. Instead of saying it's him, say who Kang is. What does he do? Because ultimately it isn't like you're going to leave here without, without telling anybody who Kang is or not meeting him. Like and to the point where she is that scared me as the viewer, I'm looking at it like, yo, why are they trying to treat him like Voldemort? <laughs> like you can't say the name like, yo, say who King is, say what he does. That way, everybody could understand the stakes going on from here. Pacing, aside from that certain moment throughout the rest of the movie, I actually found to be pretty solid. And anytime King is on the screen, I'm telling you, time flies by. He soaks up every bit of your of your attention and you sort of want a lot more, but you know, they're, they're going to hold, they're going to hold it for a bit until we eventually get into King dynasty. So from the pacing to tension, 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 something that's very critical, especially when we're building up to such a grand villain, it holds up. Okay. The first half again, due to sort of the runaround of Janet explaining who King is sort of holds that back with the character she's with. And if I remember correctly, it's with Hank and of course their granddaughter, Cassie. When, no, no, Cassie's with Scott Lang, my fault. But whenever it's Janet, Hank, and Hope, whenever the three of them are together on screen, that's when things are a little bit slow. But whenever it's everybody else, like Scott Lang and Cassie, and whenever they're with King, pacing incredibly, incredibly well done. Like on, on that end, whenever it comes to King and Scott, that's when I feel this movie is breathing and moving the most. Now. Throughout this entire thing, everything from the dilemma to some of the relationships being established and how 
And when I say relationships being established, how we're going to carry their dynamics, I'm loving the conflict Scott Lang had to deal with in this movie with, all right, I understand that Kang is evil. Kang lets him, lets him know pretty well know who, what he's about, telling him he's killed Thor and all this. But do we go on the route to where, do I want to risk the universe to save my daughter? Or do I want to try to find a way out that I could get my daughter and save the universe? It's like a minor conflict that he does go through. However, because Kang does not keep his end of the bargain, I feel that tension that was being presented that I found to be pretty fresh in an Ant-Man movie was sort of diminishes it. And even towards the end, whenever we get the final battle, it wasn't until it was like one-on-one with King and Scott where I felt like legitimate tension because even then, for whatever reason, I found the heroes were a bit more overwhelmingly powerful. Like as much as I understand the thing with the ants, uh, the ants towards a climax, they <laughs> they evolved like a thousand years, got technologically advanced. They're super strong and they sort of like, you know, just wrecked everything. I was like, yeah, this, this is, if this is the way it's being executed, I guess they at least try to make it make sense. But it just sort of made some, a, a lot of the tension sort of like, hmm, I felt this would have been a lot more like everybody is experiencing death right around the door. And we didn't exactly get that as much as I would have liked to. Now, as far as were there any plot twists, was there anything in here that sort of made you like, oh, wow, unexpected. The unpredictability of this movie was whenever Modoc betrayed King and reduced um, his suit's powers. And that's how he got overpowered by the ants. And that's the only moment that really was a twist. And it wasn't done pretty. That wasn't done good. Um, that, what was it? Cassie just told him, hey, stop being a dick. And he just like, he had a big brain moment was just like, what the fuck? Like, yo, I just gotta, I don't want to be a dick. What? I'm a dick? Unbelievable. Why didn't nobody tell me? I would have I would have just switched sides from the beginning if someone told me I was a dick. That's the that's a legitimate reason <laughs> he switched sides. So as far as unpredictability, that's one of those moments that was suffering. Now, after getting these subcategories out of the way, overall, overall, how did I enjoy Ant-Man Quantumania? Scott Lang and Kang definitely steal the movie for me. I'm loving Cassie sort of getting this bit of training being inside the quantum realm, fighting alongside for her father. I love that dynamic. Um, some of the freedom fires were pretty funny, uncanny. The one that was like, sort of like the ooze that was putting the ooze in her mouth, that way they could speak with them. I was just like, that's hilarious. That's gas. That's gas. Like the whole way it was like a ritual, the way it was presented. And I'm sorry, I'm a bit going a bit everywhere. That was pretty gas. And um, a little bit before the way to get into the quantum realm, I appreciated how quick it was. They didn't spend 30 years until it finally picks up. It's like within the first 10 minutes, we in there for the reason, signal, bada bing, bada boom, good deal. Now, one thing that again takes a hit is Janet and Kang. Their relationship together feels intimate whenever they're stuck in the quantum realm and they're working on Kang's um, chair in order for him to be able to time travel, for him to go into other realities and dimensions. And you can sort of see this sense of camaraderie, intimacy and friendship building up until she finds out who he really is. And then that's whenever it's just like, all right, now, and now you know, she ruins his, uh, ruins his chair. That way he stays stuck in there. And I felt if we would have just removed a lot of the vagueness a lot of the memory loss when it comes to King and just straight up, all right, this is who he is. Bring that in with the movie, push it forward. So whenever it does time come time for everyone to meet up, it just happens at a lot faster pace. And King, 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 Jonathan Isaac. 
I believe Jonathan Isaac, right? I don't want to butcher his name. Jonathan Majors, crazy performance, menacing, insane range, loving the composure throughout the beginning of the movie up until the end when it reaches a boiling point to where he's not able to handle this anymore. He's officially enraged. He's mad and the composure starts to lapse leaking and we just see his wrath just going everywhere. As far as how this impacts the overall storyline, we come to understand that in the post-credit end scene, the Kang dynasty is officially being shown. Scott Lang, even though he defeated him, locked him away in that... I'm forgetting the name of that. I I don't know. He gets locked away in this sort of prism. Uh, Is he still lingering in his head because he doesn't know if by defeating him this way it's going to cause... King to come back, another variant. So that paranoia sticks with him. And clearly, it looks like Jonathan Majors, King, is going to come back. And from here on, it's just, it's going to be hectic. First review, I've had the structure in certain ways. I hope y'all appreciate it. And with that, my overall thoughts, if I were to give this rating, Ant-Man Quantumania is a solid 8 out of 10. Easily hands down. Now, for the next Marvel movie, this will be a lot more refined. This will be a lot more structured. I'm going to go over this video and see exactly like, all right, what what did I miss? How can I make this review better for you guys? What y'all appreciated? But with that, we done with that. And this was, I was like on the edge of my seat the entire time. This is a part where I'm like less objective to a certain degree. I'm a fan. I'm a fangirl right now. I've been binging Kang content over the past two weeks from comics explaining, breaking things down from me watching, um, I believe, new rock stars on YouTube and being able to see Jonathan Major just add so much character, expressiveness, charisma. And so that's, wow, that's some terrible list right there. <laughs> but that calm, collective charisma that we, we've only seen from Thanos to be like, I don't want to mess with that guy is it's well done man it's well done uh, uh i want to i want to watch this movie again i'm gonna be real with y'all i want to watch this movie again for those of you guys that watched it let me know man send me a dm vivid nectar i know i'm gonna be posting this up on youtube people will be commenting but this is this is a great first impression great first impression but with that with that Lil Yachty, let's start here, released January 27th, 2023. This was an album that took the entire internet by storm. Anybody that listened to this album was left mesmerized, polarized, and whether you loved it or hated it, it had an impact. From the start of the track, The Black Seminole, we, I was not expecting a psychedelic rock alternative album from Little Yachty and starting off with the Black Seminole coming in at a grand six minutes and 52 seconds with various changes in the instrumental, various vocals. Little Yachty keeping it simple on the chorus with the Black Seminole head journal, a general distant connections, a large interval. And even though it isn't like the most mind-blowing verses you'll ever hear. It does sound a bit more concise with the overall name of the track, with the overall theme of being a sex symbol, tracing it back to the Black Seminole, and having a little bit of, you know, African ramble with more amp, with more ammo, and then letting the instrumental take it from here when we get some of that psychedelic sound, some of the synths, some of the, some of the guitars in the background. It, it was, it was mind-boggling to me first listen going on from there to the ride with teasel touchdown yes 
loving Tizo Touchdown being, you know, popping up with more artists. I believe it was Roses with the Pigeons and Planes album that Tizo Tizo Touchdown was also featured on. And the vocals by Tizo gave it that extra, that extra flair, that extra cherry on top. And The Ride being another track that continues this beautiful wave that Lil Yachty has been starting off from the very beginning. And going on to here, Running Out of Time, not to get him confused with Tyler's Running Out of the Time. We get to understand that this album, I wouldn't say it's a love album, but does have a theme of Lil Yachty dealing with himself, feeling like he's a sex symbol, dealing with the fact he's running out of time. He says, there's a girl. He feels that you know, what if I told you everything that I want to tell you, all my secrets, would you accept me more? The fact that us two are together, you know, we're running out of time. Stay up with me. You've been on my mind. We understand a little Yachty, you know, he feeling, he feeling somebody. He feeling somebody. And I want to be extra and put like, let's start here is, I want to say his way of saying, let's start here for this new chapter of his life. And some of the relationships that have paved him, that pushed him to be in the, the person that he is right now. Pretty, we've seen it blow up for a little bit on TikTok because we're all feeling pretty with it. I don't know if you painted your nails after listening to this song. I didn't. But if you did, I wouldn't blame you because you wanted to feel pretty. Uh, his singing is pretty nice. And by pretty nice, by Lil Yachty standards, it is uh, a big, I, I wouldn't say drug-like. I don't know, it has like this weird... My ear has this weird earworm for his vocals where it's just like, (laughs) like his voice ripples in a way that the vibration is like, it's catchy enough. And going from there, um, this was where we get to the middle of the album that to me, I wasn't so big on going on from the zone all the way to drive me crazy. The instrumentals do carry it through pretty beautifully. But to me, I was just like, and I've officially lost vision going towards say something. That's whenever we get continues. Sort of, I want to say the story elements, especially with say something, the instrumentals for some of the drums, some of the guitar riffs, some of the synths, some of the even like the minuscule, I want to say like glitters in the background that pop in and out and sort of this ambience that paints like an atmosphere in the background. And Say something, of course, with from the first half to the second half, switching up the narrative and from Lil Yachty confessing his love and things don't exactly go great for him. Paint the Sky, Should I Be, a very enjoyable tracks as well. And The Alchemist featuring Fushi. Fushi, I would like to say, uh, I, would this technically be the most lyrical? I Yes, but I, I, I would say the bars that caught me was on probably because I am the alchemist, learn to love. I'm not like the Tin Man. Of course, Wizard of Oz, alchemy, and just various references. I am Sensei Jones with a vengeance. It, it just following that bit of wordplay is pretty, pretty dope for him to do, man. It is pretty dope the way it's done melodically, the way it's sort of, you know, setting a bit of a tone. I'm sort of seeing the references being done here pretty well. But of course, Fushi on the interlude, singing, it feels good, don't mean no harm, is like a nice little pillow talk in your ear. And Lil Yachty, of course, finishing this up. And when we never we get to the end of the track list, whenever this finally decides to load here, Reach the Sunshine with Daniel Caesar is euphoric. It is entertaining. And overall, Lil Yachty's Let's Start Here is beautiful 
album of the year for me so far, an album that feels luscious, that is gleaming with sunshine and sparkles, but it isn't afraid to throw you to the side here and there for some jarring change, some jarring change in the instrumentals and Lil Yachty's voice being the main instrumental. And one thing I want to credit here is the mixing Mixing, mixing, mixing is done at in a way where his vocals at the time could be in the forefront, could be in the background. It could be multiple little Yachty vocals on top of one another, which gives a lot of these tracks layers and depth that whenever you do return to, it always feels fresh. It's always a bit adds a bit more replayability. And overall, this album is a solid nine out of ten for me. Lil Yachty, let's start here. What are your guys' thoughts on the album? How have you been enjoying it? And is this, do you find this like as your favorite Lil Yachty album? To be real, aside from Lil Bolt that I believe nostalgia holds a lot of value for me, I do find Let's Start Here to be probably his best album. Hasn't even been a month yet, but I don't think I need a month. (laughs) I don't. (laughs) I don't need a month to figure this out. And with that, One Piece it's been a minute. You know, I've, I've been loving every chapter for whatever reason. I just haven't been talking to you guys about it. And I, I would say because a bit of it, I was confused. I was confused to, you know, what was going on exactly on Egghead Island, even when watching people like Mr. Morris and whoever else. But 1075, of course, we still have the mystery of where Dr. Vega Punk went, who is the traitor. And we get everybody sort of trying to figure out what's going on. We have Shaka seeing that a lot of the snails are being blown up throughout the laboratory. A lot of security cameras are nowhere to be found. And Luffy, I I love how at times he's just the curiosity for technology drives him. But then whenever it comes time for how technology works, it's just like, like, for example, a little headpiece. Hey, everyone's voice cut off suddenly. What's going on? Hey, help me, guy. Help me out here. Trying to have fun. And it is... I found this chapter to be a bit cumbersome with the amount of frames to emphasize what's going on. For for example, the people, whoever's taken down on the cameras that Shaka's dealing with, we see figures, we see multiple frames of the cameras being shot off. I, I thought we could have dealt with just two panels explaining it. We already see beforehand a lot of buildings with smoke. And I, I want to say at these moments, it feels like filler panels. It's not really filler before anybody gets at me, but panels that Oda like feeds in that way he could take a bit of a break within a chapter, like, all right, I'm going to just drag this out to take some pages while I get ready for the next big chapter. Sanji fangirling over the gems, her love for jewelry, money. It's nice to see. We love when the Straw Hats are able to be the most version of themselves, even at times like this. Brooke, sometimes I'll be forgetting Brooke is here, man. I'm going to be real with y'all. Sometimes I'll be looking at Brooke and I'm like, what? And then going on from there, we, we get like a recap of what everyone is doing. Everybody trying to look for in these Vega Pongs, what else we're seeing in this laboratory. Robin noticing that in one of these sort of um, vessels, there's uh, organs, man-made organades. And uh, I, I was just like, hmm. He's trapping organs. Vegapunk is trapping organs. That explains how he's able to get the money. That explains it. he's trapping organs. (laughs) Luffy being persistent with Shaka as far as like he couldn't hear anything or whatever the case is. And Shaka going back to say, hey, the camera's off. Again, felt redundant. I felt like a lot of these scenes, it could have really been done in about two or three panels. And it just consistently come back to heavily emphasize, hey, 
We got no camera feed. We can't figure out where people are. Clearly somebody's here that's not supposed to be here. And I was just like, as I was reading this, I was just like, okay, well, what what exactly are we going to get here? Uh, And then Sanji fangirling, going over with Jembe, just walking around and strolling. Nothing important there. We do have... We do have one of the Vega Punks. I forgot her name already, but she has a bubble gun. Usopp is freaking out over the bubble gun. And I, I'm liking this. Hopefully, this is Usopp getting upgrade anytime soon. Uh, we got Frankie just sort of yelling out, looking for Vega Punk. And then we get the aftermath of an explosion. Pack Pythagoras, he's been ambushed potentially, whatever the case is. But he's alive though. His head's just spinning out there. And then Usopp sort of like looking out, like, what's, yo, who's out there? And we seen we see Bowen Hancock, her seraphim. So Boa S to simplify it. We see her bait one of the Vega Punks and turn her into stone, which is insane. Having a Boa S that has the love, love, mellow fruit power is mind-boggling. Just because it, it seems it works perfectly. The fact that she's a seraphim, and I'm still not over the presence of these seraphims it isn't like all right we get it we we got these we got these glorified pacifistas like nah this this is crazy this this is crazy like this changes the tide of everything just because of the amount of power they hold and even them freaking out like the seraphim so the seraphim not taking in command of the charge of the other vega punk so there's got to be somebody higher in the ranking order somewhere close by and of course we get this is where it starts to amp up. This is where most of the tension in. Eventually, we get Zoro. We get Luffy. Everybody starts meeting up. Uh, Shaka as well. When we get the Mihawk Seraphim. And then we get S-Hawk, S-Bear. I guess that's the best way I would describe it. And this is when I feel the chapter finally started to get spiced up. And everybody's avoiding it. There's a lot of damage being done. And it's at a point where they're in <laughs> They're in front. They're in front of... Wow, wow, wow. At this point... I can't even believe I'm forgetting their names. It's wow. You see, this is this is maybe why I haven't been doing the reviews because the names, you know, the names just be getting to me sometimes. I'll be like, uh, what's his name? Um, from Any's lobby, the two guys. <laughs> they're they're in their ha- they're in their handcuffs, Luffy and Zoro. And they're like, damn, you know, we can't we can't just let them die like that. And they they they're just like, hmm. Mm. Do we want to save them? Do we want to uncuff them from the sea stones, even though they just tried to attack us? Rob Lucci, there we go. Rob Lucci and his subordinate. It, it just came to me like all at once. My brain cells just boom activated. Rob Lucci and subordinate. They're like, hey, we, 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 we sort of want to live. Can we let our past just sort of be the past? Because we're all trying to survive here. Looks like they're not listening to us. They're not listening to y'all. And this isn't looking like a great situation. And that last panel where they look disgusted just hearing that from them was just like, comedy comedy overall chapter 1075 there was a lot of fluff a strange amount of fluff just to emphasize things that honestly we don't need even seeing some of the characters being slightly comedic whether we're talking about nami or usap you know fan fangirling over the bubble gun these things could have easily been brushed aside real quick we could have introduced the seraphim earlier in the chapter but from going from villains going from villains going from antagonist to protagonist now in a team up potentially zoro luffy just like eh, eh, 
eh, and I'm making these noises because I don't even know what to say in real words. It's just sort of like, do we want to deal with this? Do we have to? One Piece chapter 1075 is exciting. That was extremely exciting. I had a lot of fun just off that frame, but the overall chapter overall now, I, I give it, did I give it a rating already? Solid five out of 10. I'm going to give this chapter five out of 10, quite average. The ending and what it's going to bring up gives it, gives it a lot a lot of life, probably an extra two points that I would have gave it. But with that, yo, I'm happy. I'm happy right now. Three reviews back to back to back from Ant-Man to Lil Yachty to bring it back. One piece. I know some of you got, some of y'all been asking for it. Some of y'all be DMing me like, yo, we, we really only here for the manga discussions. And I put that on hold for a bit. I'm caught up with Baruto. I'm caught up with One Punch Man. My hero, I'm gonna be real with y'all. I don't like the way my hero's been. I don't like the direction my hero has been heading, like honestly, for the past three months. We're at a climax, and I feel like I've lost interest. I've lost interest in the climax. In the climax. That's a problem. That's a major, major problem. And with this, I'll catch you guys on the next episode, 270. There's a couple people that I've met over this past week um, that shouts out to y'all for, I would like to say, y'all being cool, y'all being dope, whether it comes to like some entertaining small talk or something that's more engaging than, you know, just typical doorway conversations and some, um, some, eventful, some eventful moments with that. I'll probably bring some of these stories on to the next episode. It's been a bit since I've done a story episode or rather what I've been, a lot of my interactions have been or some of the characters I've been meeting, but we'll save it for the next episode. And I'll be dropping sooner than later. Alexander, catch you guys on the next one. Well, Alexander here. Now I'm out. I'll catch you guys in the next one.